Hello and welcome back to the Internet Report, where we uncover what's working and what's breaking on the internet, and why. I'm Barry Collins, and I'll be your host today with Mike Hicks, Principal Solutions Analyst at Thousand Eyes. This is a special holiday episode, and so in the spirit of the classic Dickens story, A Christmas Carol, we're looking at the lessons left for us by the ghosts of network operations teams past, present, and yet to come. Mike will be leaning on all of his experience to reveal how operations teams can ensure their networks aren't halted by past mistakes and give us a first-hand insight into what it's like when you're left alone to manage the network over the holiday period. Like all of our shows, this one is released on all of the major podcast platforms as well as YouTube, so please hit subscribe to make sure you're notified of all the latest episodes. We also welcome your feedback and questions at internetreport at thousandeyes.com. So, time to get on with our holiday special, and I started by asking Mike to enlighten us about the lessons we can learn from network operations teams past. So, staying with our analogy then of a Christmas carol, if we go back, you know, sort of in time there, the uh, the flickering memories of, of network failures, cascading impacts, manual interventions that come from there. You know, sort of ops teams in, in, in the past, if you cast your mind back, and I've been in this situation myself, uh, where you've had this this scenario where um, I, I've seen this this case where you make a configuration change or you, you're doing an upgrade to there. You're not really sure where the impact's going to be, but you get this uh, cascading event like, you know, some someone's just flicked the end of a dominoes. And, and and I remember one specific instance where I was sitting in the operation, where I actually got a call to go to the ops center. And then as I got in there, I was just watching these Christmas lights go red. Everything sort of went red down there. And when I asked them what happened, they made a configuration change to some internal routing protocol. I didn't realize the impact it was going to have. So the, the, the point of this, you know, sort of this looking back in time is, is that the connectivity, you didn't really know how it was going to be impacted. You can make one change, even if you knew the outcome, it was going to have this cascading event because of the way things were sort of connected together and uh, and everything sort of was, was reliant, I guess, on each other to sort of make that connection. Now, we haven't moved away from that as such, but the difference is we're starting to sort of understand how those connections are made. It's not only protocols and technologies of years gone by that cause problems, of course. It's legacy code or configurations that often catch companies out. I asked Mike how much of a factor these are. What we've got in this situation is almost this Frankenstein. And you said sort of configuration changes. And typically what you'll see these made in is in policies and access control lists. It might be a policy change or it might be, because like I say, some access control list which links into policy that has just grown and grown and grown. And all of a sudden I make a change and I'm going out of a different interface than I would normally expect. Or I'm routing through somewhere I wouldn't expect. And that has that impact downstream. And, and as it's grown, you know, so you've added one on top of each other, it's almost impossible for one person to be able to comprehend that. I've still got notebooks of sort of configuration changes of networks I was working on sort of 20, 30 years ago and sort of things we'd made there. And I'm sure a lot of these people through the best will in the world, there's these changes being made on this edge. And also what's changed then to that point is external stuff on top of that. So we had this, you know, the legacy, the enterprise we owned, we had control over that domain, and now we've sort of grown outside of that. And the technologies have changed as well. So whereas <laughs> I was dealing with um, uh, sort of frame relay circuits, X25, and the way we were testing those was slightly different, I'm now relying on the internet. I've now, and, but there's configurations that I would probably find in a lot of environments if the kit sort of lived that long, where there's sort of evidence of some changes that we're relying on these old uh, methods of uh, of transmission. Mike mentioned his old notebooks there, and one of the big problems IT staff often face is that previous configuration changes haven't been documented somewhere. 
Does Mike think that's an issue? Yeah, it is. But also things are changing dynamically. So sort of I'm, I'm sitting in this situation where things are changing all the time. And, and typically what you'll find is it's been put down in the first place. And you said, we're normally making a change, not quite by the seat of your pants, but I'm, I'm reactive. And then you go, yeah, I'll get around to documentation. You know, engineers are notoriously bad for this. I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. But if they do make it, they're not making it in the context of the entire environment. So if you think about routing protocols, they're obviously working on a next hot basis. They don't necessarily have either visibility or considerations for everything sort of downstream to that. And then for them to be able to put that into the context and say, okay, by me making this one change here, what this overall impact going to be? And if they document it, they're not necessarily going to be able to understand that. So what's the best practice when it comes to documenting changes and avoiding those ghosts of the past? So it's, I mean, obviously, and, and people talk about CMDBs, uh, sort of configuration management databases and all that. But ultimately what it is, is let, let's come back and let's look at my service. How is my service being delivered? And then that becomes your starting point. So this is my service. This is what my business relies on. Let's understand the components in that. Let's understand each individual part of that service delivery chain, who's responsible for it, what are my dependencies, and then I can work back. So what part then do I know? Okay, right. I deliver my payment system. I'm using a third-party payment gateway. It goes back into my inventory database, uh, which I have control. It sits in this cloud provider. I can have all those parts mapped out. And then I can come back and say, right, which bits do I own? This is how I make those configurations and I document it at that point. But even so, what you then got to do is have this correlation coming on. So every time you get performance variation or performance change, because ultimately what you want to be is in this continuous improvement arc where we're making things faster because it impacts the bottom line of a business perspective or improves the productivity. And so, you know, each time this performance change, then I almost check to see whether the configuration on my elements has impacted it. But if you start from that known bit at the top, i.e. this is a service we want to deliver, and then let's come back from that. Which components involved, which the configuration aspects I know, and then we can actually sort of map it out that way. So now we move on to the ghost of network operations present, and things are starting to improve for network managers. So we've come forward into the present area. As I said, those outages still occur, but the arrival of the ghost of network operations presence sort of, you know, it takes the engineer to a good place. Where we are sort of today, uh, you know, we've got resilience in the network. We're leveraging the internet, which was built for resilience and redundancy in these situations. So we have redundant routes. We've talked about outages previously in the podcast where it hasn't had so much of a direct impact because things have been able to be routed around it through different transit providers or through different um, internet exchanges. So so all those there. And we've got a level of automation, you know, where there's some sort of outages occur. We have organizations which will re-advertise their network out of a different prefix. So all of a sudden they pick up, they're talking about minutes of downtime as opposed to sort of hours. So this is where we're really good. You know, we, we've got that. Um, so clearly, you know, things have sort of changed around. We, we Because of the advent of, of the cloud and the internet across there, we have um, a, a lot of software-defined networking, uh, which means we can spin up virtual appliances in, in, the, uh, in, in the space and we can do sort of networking in the cloud, these, uh, these sort of things in there. And, and around the edge, we can do all these smart things with CDNs, you know, so we can share load and, and latencies as it around there. So a lot of that is automated as well. So we have those automation processes in there. So everyone's sort of much happy, you know, if we shut down a, a, a physical device on there. We've already spun up one next to it. So we've actually shifted the routes across. 
we can start to work on it. I said, you still see these, but if I'm looking at outages that I see when we go back over the years, they sort of tend to appear out of business hours. So we know it's going to have some sort of destructive impact. But again, that that, that blast radius, as it were, is, is sort of relatively small. So we can we can keep it under control. But what we found with all of this then, so let's you know, move on. So if you remember sort of some of the old movies, they're all dancing around, they're doing a minister's cat, everybody's happy, this is good. Have we solved the problem? Absolutely not. Because with this sort of change where we've started to move into, we have now have this a visibility limitation. What does Mike mean by visibility limitation? I can only automate the stuff I can control. So within my uh, domain of command, so those around the edge or stuff that I own where I can instrument, I can get that type of thing. So all of a sudden, you know, I've got this visibility sort of black hole that's outside of my domain. Uh, and also because I've got these different moving parts involved, what I've, I've now started to get around is this, this situation where I have these single aggregation points of dependency where I wasn't aware that was an aggregation point. So I can get connectivity to a location or to a site for a group of users or for my whole user base, but functionally I can't access it. Because I haven't, you know, I don't have visibility in there. It's not not functionally working, and we we sort of seen this in a number of sort of outage over the past year, uh, where uh, you know, sort of payment systems suddenly stop stop working because it looks like it's up, but when I actually do my card payment, I get the receipt okay, but it hasn't transacted in the back end because it's relied on a third party one from there. We had another one, you know, when we're talking about sort of communication channels, the direct messaging sort of stuff works. I can send messages, but to put images on there, it didn't work. And then we had sort of a situation even where I think I've designed for it. I have this visibility gap where I think I've designed for all resilience and dependency. I've stretched my architecture around it. Then something happens. I, I get a power failure down there. So something external. And all of a sudden it highlights that we were relying on this one location to control our whole environment there. So these are sort of visibility gaps, you know, so where you start off all happy, we think we got it cured. And then we come into this and say, actually, you know what, what we've done, and, and it's, it's because I've got, I've got these complexity on tops of complexity or protocols, interacting with protocols, different third parties across there. I need to be able to see that uh, in one area, and I, I haven't quite got that at the moment. Nobody wants a visibility gap in their network, but how much can network managers realistically control when it comes to dealing with cloud providers? Can you mitigate for the failures of a third party, or do you have to place faith in your providers? There's <laughs> an element of trust in it, and, and they're, they're invested with you in this, right? So they, they don't want to have downtime. I mean, they do have service level agreements involved in this, and there's sort of, you know, it's there's different ways you can breach or can't breach, but nobody wants to be able to go and go, oh, you owe me some service credits because what's happened in that situation is my networks or my application has been unavailable. I've lost money, I've lost revenue, I've lost productivity. So they're, they're in it with you. So there's an element of trust. But, but the reliance then, you can start to build in. And if I understand my complete path, my service delivery, my dependencies there, I can almost split functions away. Do I put everything in one CDN uh, provider? I should say, just qualify that. Or do I split it around the area there? Where are my users located? Let's see if I can find a different cloud provider for that region to put off my inventory in. I'm only making one single call to that database. I can put that in a different region and I can replicate that in a, a private cloud situation. So there's all those types of considerations. But it all starts with this visibility, understanding that my dependencies, how everything's linked together, and then I can plan around it. 
No one's practically going to want to um, have redundancy on redundancy on redundancy on redundancy. It, it, it becomes you know, a relevant process. So what you've got to find is that happy medium. Where is it going to impact my performance or my production? How long can I afford to be down? Yeah, again, we've seen situations where operations departments gone, I know this is a power outage. We know it's going to come back up within five minutes. We did a graceful shutdown. We can just live with that as opposed to move to disaster recovery. And and if I understand the processes involved, the components involved, I can start to make those decisions. And it really, as I say, comes back to this visibility aspect. So it's time for our third and final spectre, the ghost of network operations yet to come. Does Mike like what he sees ahead? Future direction isn't clear. I mean, I'm in Australia, so I am actually always a day ahead, so I could potentially predict the future for you there, but uh, or rather just read it off what's happening today. I'll give you the polls results later. Um, but if it isn't quite clear, if we haven't made it clear from that past end, sort of, you know, the third apparition is going to make it sort of clear. You know, we, we've talked about, or I talked about this concept then of the cause of application outages, the instability, needing to extend the visibility. We have these things from outside of our domain of command. Uh, you know, I need to be able to cover all of those. And again, we sort of touched on this concept of SLAs. Um, so I'm, I'm big on this concept of SLRs, which is service level relationships. I said, nobody really wants to go into this area and say, ah, oh, you failed to deliver service. Here's your credit around from there or going, yeah, we didn't have productivity for four days, but look, I've got a check back from the provider. You know, you're not going to last sort of too, too long with that. So what I've got to do is have this holistic approach across sort of all of these domains. So outside of my control, we want to talk about this service level relationship around there. So, you know, I mentioned they're complex um, uh, systems. We have complex orchestration. Uh, we need to be able to sort of understand all these components there, but also then to be able to tie together those SLAs. If I take an SLA in isolation, it is almost impossible to breach any one of those SLAs because it'll always be somebody else's fault downstream. And that's fine, right? But what we need to be able to do is to put all of those together to say, if we can actually work, and this is where that relationship aspect comes in, here is my service delivery chain. The, the application owner or the application user is the person or the organization that has overall responsibility. So what I need to be able to do is sort of tie all these together and I need to assure that delivery from end to end, which includes third parties that I don't own or control, different cloud providers. We talked about that level of redundancy and resilience that we build into the application, You know, again, outside of our control. If I can tie all that together and I can pull parts of information that I require from that to answer that question, that's when I'm starting to assure it. And if I can actually understand those and within my domain of command, I can also now start to make decisions. I know for this component that if this situation occurs, I can say re-advertise my network. This is going to change at the edge. I want to change the quality of service setting for here. I want to make sure that we always take this path, i.e., you know, this is how I know these peering providers are. Therefore, I'm going to make sure my network's advertising this way uh, to sort of come out there. So I can start to automate at the edge and essentially impact that overall delivery as, as, as I go through from there. You know, even down to things like DNS Resolver, where are we actually going to be resolved? How's our name going to come out? Um, you know, where's authoritative server and, and sort of downstream stuff from there. So that, that whole end-to-end -end visibility that we harp on about or we, we, we go on about from there is, is one aspect of it. When we talk about network assurance and where the future wants to go, and, and like I said, these outages are always going to occur. I'm always going to have disruption. Or what we'll see is degradation or functional degradation, where I lose part of an application 
or you know a critical part of it. So I can't you know, can't can't see what's happening. Or I can't add information to it, um, or we can't process payments. Those type, types of things there. Now, if I understand all those, I can start to plan around it, and there might be processes from there. So what actions will I take? Remediation. What action can I automate just to keep things fresh? You know, one of the big things if you talk about network assurance, it isn't find fault, fix fault. It's let's avoid that issue in the first place. So I'm looking at the condition of that circuit end to end. All of a sudden, I notice I'm taking more hops. I'm going through a, a suboptimal route. I can actually offline work out, okay, where are we going to go? I can see that's happening. It's a variation. Let's actually shift it so it comes back this way. We can do that by re-advertising our network or shutting down interface so we come out of a standby interface, those types of things. But I could do that disrupting the application itself. So what a sense what I'm starting to do is to avoid the issue occurring in the first place. And this is what we mean about network assurance. It's taking yourself beyond monitoring into this continuous improvement line uh, where we want to go, which includes a level of automation, which includes a level of remediation, um, and, uh, and then so forth. Mike's talked extensively about the role of automation in network management. Does he think it's going to be another area where AI is going to become dominant in the future? It's a little similar to automation. So if you're thinking about sort of AI ops for networking, you know, which is really what we're talking about here, it isn't so much the AI itself, but it's, it's the, the information I get in that's going to be pertinent to it. If I'm doing any sort of automation or, or automated remediation based on some sort of narrow AI, I've got to make sure that it's, it's accurate. Right? I'm going to make sure that I know the outcome of that. So therefore, to do that, I've got to control the data I get in. It's not just a case of, you know, sort of going out to some um, large language model that, that has got a huge database in there and saying, give me a definition of X, Y, or Z. I need to be sort of tied down. So what it really is, is, is doing is, is taking the knowledge that you have of your environment, you know of these components put together, and then or what bit does it make sense? If we make this change, can we guarantee that we're not going to make things worse? And that's how I see it sort of evolving in that way there. And it's really, if you think about that aspect of AI ops uh, for the networking, but it's almost removing those mundane tasks. Because again, if those repetitive tasks I'm doing all the time, I'm more likely to make a mistake. Yeah, um, we were talking about it off air where I, I made a configuration change and the minute I pressed it, and it, because I, I'd done the same configuration change over and over again and just a lapse in concentration, I, you know, I, I, I pressed the, the dot instead of a one or, or, or whatever it was around there. And then you had to sort of go back. Now, if that's a repetitive task, then, then that's something I'd say when this situation comes in, this is the action we take. And that is the type of thing that sort of you, you can automate and will work from the AI. So the AI essentially starts to learn these are the conditions and these are the actions we can take in those places there. So to wrap up our show, we've talked about the ghosts of Dickens Towers, but it can be a pretty ghostly experience being the only person managing the network over the holidays. Mike's got experience of doing just that. So I asked him what it's like to have all that responsibility. Absolutely. I've been in that situation many times, Barry, and it's, um, it is quite ghostly. It's, it's, it's this, this good and bad because one, it's quiet. So, you know, you've got sort of no one else in, but then also on the other side, you're going, but if I do make a change, What's the impact to it? In the network I was looking at was a um, a global network. We 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 were we were operating with different government organisations, and so therefore, if I make a change that has a detrimental impact to this environment, I'm going to have to call people out of bed in some cases, you know, um, from their, their Christmas. So yeah, it, it, it's good and bad across that way. You you have to have you have to be really keenly aware, and you're making a change. When I make a change, or I I, I fix a fault on there. 
you, you've got to do is a couple of things. So one, I've got to be pretty sure the change I'm going to make isn't going to have that domino effect we talked about in the, in the operations path situation. And then on the other side of that, I've also got to be able to assess if there is a problem. Right? So if there is a problem, what is the priority of that? Yeah. So in, in, in my case, I had sort of some um, some scientists who sort of needed to work sort of around the clock. So I had time to finish the, the systems off. So obviously they're, they're critical, right? So there be I could divert network resources to look after those guys. Whereas if a back office staff who was working and was was looking at their email, yep, you can wait. So it's making those assessments on there because yeah, ultimately, again, if I make an impact to those, it could have a flow-on effect to the, the, the scientists who are, who are needing to use the network. So as I said, it's, it's balancing act. It's one, going to make an assessment of, is a change I make going to be destructive? If it is going to be destructive, how big is that blast radius? And on the flip side, again, do I want to call that person out? If I'm making that call to call them out, it's got to be because it's of high priority. You know, They're not going to take well if they're called out for a situation where it's just Ah, I couldn't get the microwave to work. <laughs> That's it for this holiday special. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And you can follow us on X at, at Thousand Eyes. If you have questions or feedback, send us a note to internetreport at thousandeyes.com. We hope you enjoyed this holiday special. And if you're looking for a regular podcast, I hope you keep your finger on the pulse of the health of the internet. Check out our Internet Report Pulse Update podcast series, which publishes every other week right here on this channel. We'll be taking a short break during the holiday season, but we'll be back in January with more internet insights and outage analysis. Thanks again for listening today, and we'll catch you in the new year. Have a great holiday season. Goodbye.